you want to open up your Bible and look at Psalm uh, 105, verses 1 through 5, I'm going to give you 30 seconds just to read it and ask God to, to call you into his praise. What do you need to praise him for? What do you need to acknowledge to him that maybe you've been taking credit for in your own heart? So I'm going to give us some time right now to just let God and the Holy Spirit through his scriptures to uh, minister to us. Let's read that together. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Good morning, church. (laughs) Please open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. Anybody recognize that group that's up on the screen? They're coming back. Get out your phones, if you will, please. And let's mark on the date December the 15th. That's a Thursday night. It should be before all of us bust loose to head off for different places we're going for Christmas. My buddy James Hobbs, who is the um, lead singer for the Wranglers and also uh, the one who helped found them, he and I had a chance to play some golf while we were on vacation in Ruidoso and was asking us about our year, how things were going here. And I had some good things to share with him, but I also had some very, very difficult, broken things to share with him. And uh, we weren't on their schedule, their tour, to come and sing for us this year. Matter of fact, they're not in our budget. But James says, can we do you a favor? Can we just come and bless your church? He said, we'll make you a screaming deal and... Um, we just like to come and spend the night with your family and sing over them, if that would be okay. I said, ah, I might be. <laughs> Checked with the elders. I said, yes, please, bring them on. And so we're not going to have two shows. Last year we had over 700 people come, or two years ago, we had over 700 folks on two shows come to hear the Wranglers sing. We can only fit about 550 to 600 in this room. Uh, but we're going to invite as many of you who'd like to come and be blessed. I mean, there's not a whole lot of family things you can take your kids to. This is a great, great show. Great, great talent, and we'll have a great, great evening. And it's going to be something we can invite the public to. Uh, we're going to max out the building. Uh, there's going to be tickets. You have to have a ticket to be able to come. Uh, and so we're going to have those tickets made available to you first. Uh, but then we're also going to hand out as many as we possibly can. We'll have a, a waiting list, I'm sure, come the evening of the concert. So that's why I'm saying go ahead and put that on your phone. I know you're going to have a lot of invitations to be at different places, doing different things during the holidays. You won't want to miss this if you didn't get a chance to be here last time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. In uh, all things, thank you. We realize we're not the only congregation who's experienced some difficulties this year, some heavy-duty brokenness. Uh, I don't know what the gates of the city has gone through in their own church, but I know that they've experienced brokenness. You promised that in this world we would experience difficult things, but to take heart that you've overcome them. Uh, We know they struggled with that too. And so would you ask, please, I ask that you be with their their minister today. Help him to preach the word that uh, you have put on his heart. But, Father, we're asking you to help us all with the brokenness that we've experienced. Uh, We thank you for it. You've asked us to thank you in all things. And so we're learning as a church how you bring amazing things from it. So please help all the disciples in our community. 
grow from that truth. In Jesus' precious name, and everyone said, amen. There are memories branded in some of our minds that um, I'm almost sure we wouldn't wish on anybody. One of falls in that category came not too long ago from a sister in Christ whose past is marked by a tremendous tragedy. It was the watching of her mother and father on the front porch of their farm home. They were holding her baby sister in their arms. They were rocking her three-year-old sister, stained with blood, and praying over her. Not the warm, sleepy prayers of bedtime, but the wailing prayers of the brokenhearted. Prayers marked by the pleas for her to wake up, for her to start breathing again. But she didn't breathe. The police came. And they filled out reports, and they tried to gently pry her sister from the blood-filled blankets from her parents, and they didn't know how to let go. Eventually, they did take her, and eventually, she did go. But they left behind the memory of her sister toddling into the farm lane, wandering after the family cat. They left the memories of the forever damaged UPS driver sitting at their kitchen table mumbling, I never saw her. I never saw her. The policeman took Amy, but they didn't take the vision of her lying there under the wheel of that UPS truck crushed by its load in their farmyard. The cosmos shifted that day for all of us, Anne writes. I can still hear my mother scream. I can still see my father's glazed over eyes. I remember the days that followed my mother feeding her three-week-old child from her breast while she prepared to bury her three-year-old in a casket. We accepted that day as an accident, but when you bury a child or when you just get up every day raw, whatever the origin of the hurt, whatever the source of your devastation, whatever the cause of the brokenness, you murmur the question soundlessly most of the time. Can there be a God who's good? I think that's a question all of us ask. And I think on some level all of us are going to answer before this life is over. You come to find out the empty answer to that question would permeate the years of Anne's life. As she goes on to chronicle in her book, 1,000 Gifts. Some of you have read it. This question, can there be a God who's good? Stayed with her through her adolescence, into her teens, right into a marriage of her own. Living on a farm of her own with six kids of her own. Through all of which she thought should have all added up to a life to the full. But instead only seemed to reveal a life to the empty. It was a great farm. <laughs> She's married to a great husband, had great kids, and she writes, but I awoke one morning looking in the mirror, being fearlessly blunt with God. What I have, what I am, 
how I am, what I've got is simply not enough, Lord. It's not. She writes, I knew the source of those thoughts, but they, but they still came from my mouth. The thoughts came from the forked-tongued serpent, but they came from my mouth. Does God really love me? I asked. If you truly, deeply love me, then why do you withhold from me what I know will fully nourish me? Why do I live in this sense of rejection? Why do I live in this sense of less? Why do I live in this sense of pain? Why? Don't you want me to be happy, God? Those are Anne's questions. But I know now she was asking them, yes, for herself, but was she asking them for you? She didn't know it at the time. There's no way she could have known it. No way. Because she was living in the brokenness. She could have not, there's no way she could have known that she'd be asking those questions of brokenness that I would be sharing with you. There's no way she could, she was in it. And when you're in brokenness, there's, there's almost no way you could ever believe good could ever come out of that. Not true brokenness, not true darkness. And she was in it. She lived that brokenness first, but then some way, somehow, God touches that brokenness and it becomes life to where I'm sharing those questions with you today and some of the answers that are found in her book. But that's how brokenness leads to life. It has to be experienced before it's shared. It has to be lived before it can bring life to others. And that's the message <laughs> that I was trying to bring last week. And I so hope you gave some thought to maybe some part of it. That part of the blessing God wants to bring to your life to the full is going to have to come through brokenness. It may have been a strange statement, but let me read it again. Let me say it again. You were created to be broken. Just like the egg was created to be broken so that life could come. Just like the acorn was created to be broken so that life could come. Just like Jesus himself was broken so that life could come. You too, along with Anne, are meant to be broken so that life can come. And I just want to say, if you're visiting with us today, I get, huh? <laughs> what? I'm, never, I'm created to be broken? Yes. And there's no way in the world that I could spend a whole lot of time on that this morning. We've got another lesson to get to. But you can go to the Kerrville Church of Christ website. Click on media, and the very last lesson under Mission Possible is that message. You are created to be broken. It's the only way that you can make sense out of some of these absurd words in Scripture. Count it all joy, brethren, when you meet various trials. Remember what James said? Remember what Paul says, let me then boast if I boast in anything of my weaknesses so that God's power can be seen in me. It's, it's absurd. The glory of God is in being fully alive, Irenaeus said, and I believe him. But how does brokenness have anything to do with being fully alive? Jesus says in John chapter 12 and verse 25, I'll show you. 
I will be the grain of wheat that falls into the dirt, into the ground, into the darkness. And I will be broken so that you can see the abundance that will come from that, the life that will come from that. I'll show you how. And then I'll ask you to do the same. One of my favorite quotes of all time is this one by Irenaeus. The glory of God is seeing a human being fully alive. He loves it when he sees us alive with, yes, the blessings that he pours out on us, but he also loves to see the life that comes from us when the brokenness he has for us is poured out on us. But he loves, make no mistake about it, seeing you fully alive. And that's what we believe is key to building a bridge from this church to those out there who don't know Jesus in his church. What an immense lesson to try and preach. <laughs> and I got to tell you, when I walked out of the, the pulpit last Sunday, I'm thinking to myself, at best, B minus. I mean that. B minus. I mean, I was stuttering and stammering because I was trying to still get my mind wrapped around it. Not that I've, I've got it that way now, but I've it's let it soaked in in my heart and, and in my life. And I'm, I'm not having to preach that lesson exactly this morning. There's one we're moving on to, all right? We're going to actually get there in a minute. I just don't expect on those days for anybody to say, you know, I appreciated that. Especially the sister who walked into my office midweek and said, for the first time in my life, I can say I, I, I've been able to put into context all of the brokenness. Thank you. And I actually do believe what Jesus said, that in this world you're going to have many struggles, but take heart. I've overcome them. That makes sense to me now. Thank you. Can there be a God who's good in the midst of such brokenness? And the cross if it, if it says anything, says yes. <laughs> yes. Because his good brokenness heals our bad brokenness. The answer is yes. And not just because some ancient book like the Bible says so, but because in addition to that, and here's what I love, people like this ragamuffin have dared to try and interpret their story in the midst of that incredible story. And one of the main storylines of God's entire story is this. Life comes from brokenness. I'm one of the living testimonies of that, but so is Joni Erickson Tata. You know that name. So is Nelson Mandela. So is Christine Kane. So is Chris Tomlin. So is Tim Tebow. So is Paul Mosley and Art Leonard and Sarah Obasoto and Danielle Redland. I have a feeling that probably in this room this morning are at least 200 of those who could say, I've experienced too, Jimmy, in my life, God taking the brokenness of my life and turning it into life like I could have never experienced. And if you're visiting with me thinking, that's just, that's just strange, can I just show you how, how seriously I mean that? If there's any of you here who've experienced that, any of the, the Christians here that have experienced brokenness turned into life, would you just raise your hand so that visitor could see? It's true. It's true. We're wrapping up a study of our mission statement, which declares for anybody who cares to know what we're about, and that is we're trying our best to lead ordinary, broken people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus who promises to give them life through that brokenness. 
I don't know how to do that well. <laughs> I just don't. I don't know how to do that well. But through the power of the Holy Spirit and with your help as a family, I'm hoping with all my heart that some way, somehow, for the next few years, we're going to figure that out. <laughs> but the mission steps are real. God wants to see us loving him. He wants to see us loving our neighbor, and he wants to see us living this life to the full. And he wants to see us wrap our hearts and our minds around this truth, that life is this two-sided coin, heads, he wants you to experience his blessings. Tails, he wants you to experience his brokenness. And there's life in all of that. That's how we live life to the full. And this church is trying to dare to believe him that it's possible. In Psalms chapter 34 and in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, God says, I've got good days and a good life for you. I do. Don't have time to go into all that, but the, the kind of the parameters of it are it matters what you say, it matters what you do, and it matters what you pursue. That's what he says in, in those, those chapters there, both in Psalms 34 and also first chapter, first Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, that my love for you, totally unconditional. My life for you, totally conditional. And I want to extend to you the chance to live it to the full. What I need from you is this, an RSVP. Will you respond, s'il vous plaît? Anybody here received one of those and you had to RSVP? Gail and I did a couple of weeks ago. We're invited to a party. And to be able to come, they were asking that we would RSVP. That we would respond and say, yes, we want to come. And yes, we'll do what we can to get there. As far as I knew, they were not offering valet service from our house. So we had to say yes. And we had to do something to get there. A little bit of something. But to get there, we were chosen. And if we got there, there was this place prepared and a table that was set and, and fun anticipated, joy anticipated. Come be a part of that. We want to be in on that. And so we said, yes. God's waiting for you to RSVP that you'll say yes, but in a very, very unique way. That you believe that it matters what you say, it matters what you do and who you pursue. Now, again, don't have time to preach that lesson. Go back and look at the, the very last or the very first of this series in Mission Possible. It's there. But Ann Voskamp will tell you, she's trying to live by those principles. Now, she didn't hear my sermon. Okay, I want you to know that she didn't write me and say, whoa, what a great sermon about how to live life to the full. But in her book, I noticed she was applying some of those principles about it matters what you say and it matters what you do. Because in her book, she chronicles this Christian existence, let me underscore that, Christian existence that she had, filled with anger, filled with doubt, and filled with this sense of being left out, being transformed into being a person of joy, a Christian of joy, a Christian of faith, and a Christian of great hope. It began with a simple challenge. A friend of hers who was trying to love her right in the middle of her darkness but love her out of it, which, by the way, is what God does well. Love us right where we are, but love us too much to leave us there. And then he calls his followers to do the same. If you believe that, say amen. Yeah, that's what he calls us to do, to love people right where they are and to help move them out of some of the brokenness and the hurt and the dysfunction to where he's at. And she was trying. She challenged Anne to do something a thousand times. In a thousand different specific ways. But they all boil down to two words. 
You know them. Thank you. Thank you. Two words that are part of some of the very first lessons that every single parent teaches their child. If you're a parent in here this morning and you remember having to teach your child how to say thank you, raise your hand. Okay, see? I'm not just making this stuff up, folks. I really am not. All of us taught our children how to say thank you. I saw an example of it the other day. Literally yesterday as I was in Walmart picking up some stuff for Gail. I'm walking out the door and one of those funky looking elves. Can I say funky? They're kind of funky looking. Not, not the people, but just kind of the thing they've got on. But they're handing out candy, getting ready for Christmas. And this one elf had stopped and was giving a piece of candy to this one little girl. She couldn't have been more than three. I'd say two and a half tops. And the parents had her in her arms, and she was receiving her candy, and they were saying, what's the line? What do you say? <laughs> what do you say? And she said, thank you. No, no, no. She was supposed to say that, but she didn't say anything. And, of course, then the parents kept saying, what do you say? And they kept saying it, what do you say? And finally, the elf said, Thank you. <laughs> That's not how it's supposed to work, right? You don't teach your children to say, I want it. It just comes out naturally, doesn't it? You don't have to teach your children to say, let me have it. That tone and those words just kind of come out. But you do have to teach your children to say what two words? Yeah. Interesting. Ungratefulness is just a part of who we are when we come into this world. If there's any language that we speak, we speak the language of discontent, don't we? God says, um, you can't stay that way and live. We know that. We know thank you is important for kids, right? We know that it's important for them to learn to say thank you, and so we teach them from the very beginning that, no, you, you don't just receive a gift and, and forget the gift giver, you say thank you. Man, I'm glad we, once we get that lesson, we, we got it, right? No. No. Paul will even say in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11 that he learned to be content with what he had. Even an apostle had to learn to be content, whether in good times or bad times, to, to say Thank you. It started in the first garden. But I've seen it happen in my garden. As a weed is to a garden, so is ungratefulness to a human life. You don't have to plant weeds in a garden. Just come over to my house and I'll show you. It happens. It just happens. And it did in the first garden, in the beginning of the story, the biggest story of all. Life was paradise when Adam and Eve first walked with God in the garden, it was gratefulness everywhere until one day, and it wasn't anymore. Adam and Eve were tempted by that same fork-tongued serpent that tempted Anne, remember? He tempted them with this idea, God's holding out on you. And when they believed him, when they bought his lie, ungratefulness entered the world. Not just their world, the world. And they became less focused on this God and what they had, and they started scheming to get what they didn't. 
ungratefulness, I'm telling you, entered the world, and as often happens, paradise became wilderness. And some of you walked in here this morning in wilderness. And it's because you've lost two words from your vocabulary when it comes to God. Thank you. Thank you. Please, over the next couple of weeks as we go through this series that I'm calling The Power of Thanksgiving, please make every effort that you can, if you can, to be here or at least to hear these lessons because I promise you, it's part of what God wants to do in you to lead you to this life some of you think you're being left out on. You think you've missed the party. You think you didn't get the invitation. I'm here to remind you, everybody gets the invitation. It doesn't matter whether you're handicapped. doesn't matter whether you're intelligent. doesn't matter whether you're uneducated. doesn't matter whether you're poor. doesn't matter whether you're blind, whether you're brown, whether you're Democrat or Republican. Nobody gets left out of this invitation. Come on to life. I didn't just come to give you existence. I came to give you life to the full. Jesus himself said in John 10, 27. And interestingly enough, what I'm finding is the, one of the paths that actually get you there, one of the ways in which you RSVP to God because it matters what you say, is to say these two words. Thank you. Thank you. So please, parents, whether they're two, whether they're 22, or whether they're 52 and still living in your house, teach your kid to say thank you. Please. If not just for your benefit, for our benefit. It is such a significant bridge <laughs> that God wants to make sure his church is reminded of how much he thinks of this idea. Let me share a couple of scriptures with you. See if you can notice the tone of this. In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this, God, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I ask you to, to listen to the tone. And here's what I mean by the tone. Is that suggestion tone or commandment tone? It's commandment, isn't it? Jesus says, I want you to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor in commandment language. I expect my disciples to do that. Same tone here. I expect you to be loving to God. I expect you to be loving to your neighbor. And I expect you to be thankful. I expect it. And the God who would allow his son to die in one of these has every right to and the God who would make an offer to you that, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll trade you. Your sin for my righteousness have, has every right to say, if that has anything meaningful to you, I'm expecting to hear thank you. <laughs> and I know, <laughs> I know it's, really? You mean it's that big a deal to God to hear us say thank you? Well, isn't it you? When you've given, when you've worked, when you've produced, when you've tried, whatever it is that you want to try to bless someone's life, isn't it a powerful thing to actually hear them say, I noticed, thank you. Wow, what a gift that one was. 
Now, how, how serious is he? Let me just show you. This one's, this one's going to rock your boat. He says, in the last days, there's going to be terrible times. People are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful and unholy and without love and unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutals, brutal, not lovers of good. He goes on to say, in the last days, people are going to be treacherous and rash and conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. What do you do with people like that? Wow. Have nothing to do with people like that. That's strong. Now, it's hard for me to believe that he puts ungrateful right in the midst of all of those uglies, some of which were brutal and abusive and treacherous. You mean in the same sentence as brutal and abusive and treacherous, he's going to put ungrateful? Yeah. I know some of you are thinking, well, come on, isn't isn't being ungrateful kind of like speeding? Isn't it kind of like saying, dadgummit? Isn't it kind of like a little gluttony, which we're about to experience here in a little bit, some of us? I mean, he would prefer we didn't do those things, but, but come on. In the same sentence as murder and adultery, yes. Can I remind you of Numbers chapter 11? It's a section of Scripture God permanently has recorded in history to help us understand how damaging ungratefulness is. You know the story. won't take long to talk about it. God's people have been released from Egypt. They're, they're moving to this promised land, a land that's full of homes they didn't have to build, a land full of vineyards they didn't have to build, and fields and orchards and herds they didn't have to raise and wells they didn't have to dig. It's going to be a land of promise. But to get from here, slavery, to here, the land of promise, is the wilderness in between, the desert in between. Not a lot of places to stop at a convenience store and get food for close to 2 million people. No H-E-B in the wilderness. So there's a little problem here. How are you going to feed all those folks as you move them from, now remember, this is temporary, from this place of slavery to this place of, a place of their own. A home to call their own. Vineyards to call their own. I mean, that they didn't even have to build. How are you going to get there? God's, God's idea was manna. You know this. That miracle bread that came down from heaven actually didn't come down as bread. It actually came down as kind of seed that you had to to take in in the morning. God brought it down miraculously in the morning. Six times he did it in a week. Why not seven? Well, because he asked them to get double on the sixth day because they were about to celebrate the Sabbath, a day of rest where they would just kick back and enjoy God, enjoy their families. And he says, I don't want anybody working, including mom, including the servants. So y'all pick up double on the day before the Sabbath, and you kick back and enjoy, all right? Enjoy your manna. They boiled it. They fried it. I mean, every way in the world that you can think to fix it, they fixed manna, and it was the energy bar of the century. That's all they had to eat. That's all they had to eat. But it's also all they had to eat. And I don't know how long it was, whether it was two days, two weeks, two months, but somebody started griping about The manna, every day, manna, manna, manna. If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost. 
the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, but now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna, manna, manna. Now, you know that's how a preacher reads that text. That's not how someone would actually say those words. It has this kind of tone to it. If we only had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost even. Cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic, but now we don't even have an appetite. We never see anything but this manna, manna, manna. Now, it could have been griping like that. It could have been complaining like that, which God's going to refer to. It could have been wailing like that, or it could have been something along this lines. If we only had meat to eat, I'm telling you, we remember the fish we had in Egypt, no cost. Cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlics, but now we've lost even our appetite. We never see anything but manna, manna, manna. Now, I don't know what form the wailing took on. I don't know what form the, the griping and the complaining took on. But somebody was upset with God. God says, all right, like any good parent, I'll give you some meat. <laughs> and you will eat it. You will not just eat it for just one day or two days or five days or 10 or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nose. And you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought we just did a little complaining here. I thought we did just a little gripe in here. No, you've rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? I wrote this down before I walked into the pulpit a few moments ago. Amazing how not getting what I want from you causes amnesia to all you mean to me. Amazing how not getting what I want from you causes this amnesia to all that you mean to me. God takes this griping personal. And you know why? Because it is. It's just not that we don't feel like we have enough. It's saying you're not enough. And he takes that personal. And so he does give them meat. How much? This wind caused this quail to come in from the coast two feet deep into their camp. It's a lot of quail. And while they started to... Um, Roast it, maybe boil it, cut it up into a, a little casserole. While the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague, killing thousands. Wow. I guess God takes this ungrateful thing seriously. Yeah, he does. Because he takes it personally. It's not just saying, I don't have enough here. It's saying, you're not enough here. And he takes that personal. He hates it when he hears us and he sees us get amnesia because we, we don't get something we want. We forget all that he's given, all that he is, all of the places that he's taken us out of. And he says, unacceptable. And he says it early on in the story so that we all get this. I can imagine this is a story that got told a lot of times around Hanukkah when kids weren't getting the presents they wanted. Oh, really? 
Can it remind you of the little incident back in the desert with your uncle? Can you say quail? Ungrateful. There's someone who begs to differ that God's not enough. Can I tell you who it is? It's Jesus. There's a scene that I do hope gets burned into your mind. It's this one. I know there's a lot of scenes that you would like for me to be able to miraculously maybe just remove from your mind. But if there's a scene that I could put in your mind, it would be this one. It would be the night that Jesus is about to experience the worst couple of hours in his life. It precedes the betrayal of not just one apostle or all of the apostles, but all of us. And Paul writes of it. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. When you do this, remember me. I wish somehow, and I thought about it. I thought about setting up the table with the bread and the, and the wine. I thought about setting it up and, and getting down before you, and I thought, no. No matter how I would try to recreate it, I don't want them to remember that. I want them to use their imagination, and I want them to remember a man who gets up from a table, knowing that he's about to experience betrayal and rejection like he's never experienced, knowing that he's about to experience the horrors of a death few humans in this world have ever experienced, and he takes some bread and he breaks it and he says, God, I want to tell you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm going to say, what's he thanking him for? I mean, is he thanking him for the place he's going? Is he thanking him for where they've been? Is he thanking him for this, the life that's going to come out of this brokenness he's about to step into? Don't know. But Scripture records he wants us to remember two words were spoken there. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe he was remembering these words in David, who penned in Psalm chapter 50 and verse 23, He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me. He prepares the way so that I will show him the salvation of God. I don't know. It's a great promise from God, but I don't know if that's what he was thinking of when he said these two words. Say them with me, church. Thank you. Thank you. Give thanks in everything. Maybe he's just practicing what he's going to be preaching through the Holy Spirit, through Paul, through James. Maybe, that, maybe that's what he's doing. I don't know, but he wanted to make sure that we got this before he's betrayed, before he gives his life, before all the brokenness comes. He stops and he says, thank you. And he breaks some bread. And he says, every time the church does this, would you remember me? Would you remember this moment? And then he takes some cup, some wine in a cup, and he says, God, thank you. Thank you. That's the image that I wish was burned into our minds. 
He's asked you to RSVP. He's asked us all to say thank you. And I wondered how in the world to kick off this series in which we're going to become a better church that says thank you. And I thought maybe the best way to start is just at the beginning. But before we started to walk, we crawled. And we just owned up to the fact, God, I'm sorry. We haven't done that very well. I'm sorry. It's probably a good place to start. And it starts with me. I have not lived a life of thanksgiving well. And as we come into this season of Thanksgiving, I want to do more than just look forward to some football and some family. I want to look forward to the life that's a part of learning to say thank you more often and better. And so if you're like me and you want to start this morning by just saying, God, you have convinced me (laughs) gratefulness matters to you and I want it to matter to me. I want it to matter to my kids. And I want to just tell them that they need to learn to be grateful. I want to show them how to be grateful. Well, we're going to begin next week with specifically how you do that. But we just wanted to start this week with the need that you need to. Because he's been so grateful to us, so gracious to us, right? We're going to actually sing the song during this time of invitation. That says specifically, as beautifully as any one of the songs that we sing right now as a church, thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you've paid. I hope you mean it. Maybe more so than any time that you said thank you so far today. Because he longs to hear it from you. If we can help you with that. Learning to say thank you better. Maybe there's some things that really you have just been so complaining about and griping about and anger about that you're just, you need need more than just the words thank you. You need to say I'm sorry first with somebody. Could we do that with you? We'll have elders here at the front and some at the back. But we want to say thank you this morning. And if this morning you want to become a part of this community that's trying to learn to live life to the full, we want to welcome to come be a part of it and learn to say thank you with us. But let's stand and let's say thank you. All right, church? Here we go.